We really can't predict the future because nobody can. What we can do, though, is help auto manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next. Auto Supply Chain Profits gives you timely and relevant insights and best practices from industry leaders. It's all about what's happening now in the automotive supply chain and how to prepare your organization for the future, because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Welcome to another episode of Auto Supply Chain Profits, and joining us again today is the one and only Bill Hills, former executive director of supply chain for General Motors. Bill, welcome to the show. Let's welcome. Bill, I want to talk to you about leadership. How do you see supply chain leadership changing in the future? Let me be a little bit more specific. If you were the CEO of a tier one company, what would you be looking for in your supply chain leader? I think the the first thing I would be looking for is a broad understanding of supply chain. I'd be looking for an individual that understands the different elements of supply chain. And and you know, supply chain has different definitions in different companies, but often it's it includes procurement, it includes your supply chain operation, it includes your logistics, it includes your containerization. And those all tie together to be able to schedule and manage the material flow of your product, both in and out. So I'd be looking for an individual that has those skill sets. I would be looking for someone that has vision, that has a deeper understanding of where and what are the capabilities of the future. In previous discussions, we've talked about AI. We've talked about different MRP systems. I would be looking for someone that has a understanding of the technology that's used to manage supply chain, understanding of, of good procurement processes, how you procure and your relationship with your suppliers is so critically important for an OEM to a tier one, tier one to tier two. I'd be looking for someone that really understands and supports building that relationship. As you know, Jan, I'm involved a lot in trying to help support risk and resiliency learnings. The most important tool in de-risking or increasing resiliency is great supplier relations. I would be looking for an individual that really appreciates and understands why that's so important because there's a lot of things in your supply chain that are uncontrollable. You can't control when an earthquake is going to happen. You can't control when a pandemic is going to happen. But you can have built a foundation that allows you to react effectively and not be in a total firefighting mode. Yeah, and it's interesting. Those relationships are changing drastically, especially as we move towards electrification. One of the things that Terry and I have recognized is rather than the linear supply chain relationship, we're actually recognizing more of an ecosystem. So how would the supply chain leader optimally manage that ecosystem? I think it, it starts with communication. And I think it's extremely important we be open and honest and fair as we deal with each other. There's a dependency at both ends, and that's built on trust. Being open-minded with your communication, putting yourself in the, the other organization's shoes at times, and, and what do they need to know? And asking that question, how can we better en enable your performance, which then enables our performance? I think those would be a couple of key things that I would focus on. Bill, if you were able to have a roundtable today with CEOs of Tier 1 automotives and even Tier 2s and down the supply chain, 
how would you mentor them or advise them to escalate the importance of supply chain? Because you know, in the past, it's all been about firefighting, premium freight, parts follow-up people. If you had that opportunity to sit down with them and say, this is why supply chain is important and why, you know, I, I think we need to look at supply chains differently. What advice would you give them? I would be very upfront about supply chain helps you make money. In reality, it's where money it can be made and is made. We often think in from a manufacturing standpoint that we've got to just improve labor efficiency and that'll improve profitability. In reality, that's an element. In some cases, it's a small element, some cases, a large element. But if you think about your supply chain, if you think about the amount of value that is flowing through that supply chain, and you think about all the different elements that lead to cost, it starts with containerization. It starts with how you move the material. It starts with how you store and move the material within the supply chain. I've seen examples where just simple changes in containerization that allow you to cube your trailers or your trains or whatever way your conveyance system is, saving thousands and millions of dollars per month. I would get their attention because money speaks, especially as you sit in, in with your, your CEOs and C-suite individuals. You need to get their attention. And I think when you start pointing out to them, and they understand that, what I think they often lack is how do we get there? And I think that's the area the supply chain leader really needs to help lead and and do that cross-functionally. You can't do it alone. You need to do it with your fellow leaders and the key enablers become your engineering community and your quality organizations to really move along because you don't want to make changes that, that have any impact or negative impact on quality of your product incoming and outgoing. We love that. You have to break down these silos. There's so many silos. And I, you bring up such an excellent point about really getting everybody on the same page and working together. Hey, Bill, uh, when you bring young people into the organization, there was a, a tradition in the past. We always gave him the fastener deck, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it was always, hey, how much damage can you do? You're buying nuts and bolts and screws, right? And that was the thinking. Right. Well, how, they can't do that much damage, so we'll let them learn the process, learn how to be in purchasing a supply chain on that deck. Well, Gen Z coming into the workforce right now, they're not going to play that game. You, you, you better not be giving them the most boring deck. Sorry to all the fastener people out there, but the you know they want more than that, and they want to be valued for their creativity, for their innovation, for what they can bring to the table. We're going to have to change that way of thinking. We're going to have to give them a lot of responsibility, and to use a word that you used earlier, we're going to have to trust them, nurture them, build an environment where they can make a mistake, not have their head chopped off, and succeed seed. Do you see that as a challenge for supply chain leaders today to change the way they think about how they bring people into the organization? Yes, I, I think it's a challenge, but I do think, and, and I just uh, reflect on my own experience, because we started doing a lot of hiring in the mid-2010 to 15, especially after recovering from bankruptcy where we had a lot of people. I think there was a hesitancy to broaden their responsibilities, but as the younger people have come into the workforce, they're extremely resilient. They want to contribute. Their desires are so strong. And at the same time, they value partnerships. They value working in a team. They're extremely effective in their communication. 
It's a challenge, but I do think effective leaders are up to that challenge and they're accepting that capability. In our organization, we had a uh, what we called kind of our crisis room or crisis current material availability group that really focused on the most critical items. In the beginning, we would only bring one or two of the younger people. We thought their skill set wouldn't enable them. As they start engaging, we realize the strength of their knowledge. And as we've talked in the past, the understanding the entire system is so important. Gen Zs and, and the younger people are getting a much better understanding of the capabilities. I think the other opportunity they bring to us is they have a much broader and greater understanding of the technology of the future. We've talked about AI. I think one of the inhibitors from a leadership standpoint is many of us are not skilled or really have as broad of an understanding. So the the strength is going to come from your younger generation that can help advise, and it's going to be extremely important to listen and, and support and adopt as appropriate. And I agree, too, with you, Bill, especially in the area of IT. A lot of organizations are on very old ERP systems and getting them updated and upgraded because this young generation, I know when I teach classes, they don't want to look at these green screens, black screens, whatever you might want to have them look at. Um, It's just not going to sustain. What do you think about that too? I agree 100%. If they find the technology really lagging behind, and, and let's face it, they are connected with their peers at a much stronger level than we were. You think about it, in my generation, we graduated from college, your peers, you may may communicate infrequently. Now, they're instant messaging and communicating on a, on a daily basis. And they're talking about what are we doing? What's different? And many of these colleagues are going to be working in similar responsibilities in other companies. They're going to have a good grasp at what's going on. Now, the good news is that also means they're going to be learning from each other which can bring applications into your organizations. And I think it's exciting because I think many people are going to work in the tiered supply base. Some are going to work at OEMs. There's going to be a much stronger networking, which is also going to point out things that work and things that don't work, which hopefully will then give greater visibility of how we drive improvement. That's great. I love that. Hey, Bill, I got a question for you. This is one of those questions that you didn't know was coming. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. You know, we've seen different leadership models throughout the years and certainly throughout your career. Give us a Lopez story. What was it like? What was it like working under the Lopez regime? Come on, spill the tea. You know, I think when Jackie Lopez took over as the VP of purchasing, he was definitely a change agent. You have first the shock factor of a leader who brings an entirely different view of how to manage that function. In this case, it's purchasing. And under the umbrella of purchasing, you've got supply chain, you've got procurement, you've got logistics. Very, very much a leadership style that I would consider dictatorial, demanding literally uh, fierce loyalty. And not only in what you did, what you said, how you operated the business, but even symbolically, as many of you have heard, as a warrior and part of his team, you were expected to wear your watch on the your left hand to symbolize that you were a warrior within his team. Being in the team, it was a real challenge. And the the whole procurement process and many of the things that he brought to the table had a positive impact. Competitive bidding within the process and things was very good. It was very different, caused a lot of anxiety within the supply base. But I think it was, you know, it was not positive. I really believe, and as we've talked in the past, it's important to have trust. And I think in the end, under his leadership, 
we lost the trust of many of our suppliers, which inhibited the growth of the organization. It makes you realize that damage goes on for a long, long time. Long after he was gone, we were still bearing some of the wounds that were for during his tenure. As you know, we close every episode with one actionable piece of advice that you can give to our audience. In terms of leadership in supply chain, what's the one thing that leaders can do right now to build that trust? There's definitely a theme of trust that has come out during this episode. What's one thing that supply chain leaders can do to build trust, either with their people or with their supply chain or both? Take it whatever way you'd like. I'm going to say two things. I know you've just asked for one, but I'm going to... Okay. We'll, take, we'll take two. <laughs> okay. We'll over-deliver. It's okay. One, okay. one is I think you, you need to be enthusiastic as a leader. I, I think enthusiasm enables and invites participation, and it builds trust. Showing and being someone that's uh, enthusiastic and, and really excited about where you're taking your organization can motivate both your employees, but also your colleagues. And with that, they know you're with them, that you're all in, and you need to be all in as a leader. And you need to do that with an open mind, great communication, and humility. That is just perfect. And there you have it. Be all in as a supply chain leader. Build that trust with your team, your business, your colleagues, and your supply chain. Bill Hurls, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how, or click the link in the show notes below. 